This is Race Talk School Talk, a podcast about race and education. My name is Dr. Chadrick James Galloway, and I am very, very excited to to finally be back uh, in this space on the mic and uh, recording. It has been a couple weeks, couple months. Uh, you know, I think the last one that I did was in April, right before a major conference in the field of uh, education, and so. Uh, it has been um, just a busy time, a busy period, and uh, I'm excited to be back. I'm excited to be back and talking about something that I love and appreciate, which is these conversations, these discussions, these discourses about race and education. So with that said, I will uh, hop into topics that I think are really essential and vital that have been happening the past couple of weeks. And so I'm not able to, of course, uh, recap the the last, you know, eight weeks or six weeks or however many weeks it's been. But there have been things happening that need to be talked about. One of them recently, of course, uh, has gone down in Oklahoma, the state of Oklahoma. And so what Oklahoma has done is uh, they have a uh, school board that has approved what would be the first taxpayer-funded religious school in the United States, right? So if you wear uh, religious schools are typically private, you cannot have them, you know, separation of church and state, publicly funded and whatnot. So um, essentially the the statewide virtual charter school board voted three to two to approve an application by a, a, a Catholic um, Oklahoma institution, uh, and it would be a, a virtual charter school. And so the school would open, uh, and it would be kindergarten through 12th grade. And what's interesting here uh, is that the Oklahoma Attorney General, um, you know, had, had said that, the, that this decision would violate the Oklahoma Constitution. So he, I'm quoting him here, and he says, the approval of any publicly funded religious school is contrary to Oklahoma law and not in the best interest of taxpayers. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not really interested in the conversation about the separation of church and state or taxpayers or, 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 or this and that. And th- that quote comes from um, you know, AP News. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm not really interested in that discussion right now. Um, of course, sure, someone will be gladly to take that up. Um, that's not really my expertise. That's not why I bring this issue here. What I'm more interested in is how we have a number of states, Oklahoma being one of them, uh, that have made very, very race evasive, race neutral laws, laws that take certain topics out of the school environment, laws that take books out of the schooling environment, of course, that are about race, um, have uh, recently in Oklahoma, a couple months ago, almost about, well, now about, probably about a year now, um, the, the Tulsa schools, the Tulsa public schools lost or were, were, put on a warning list for losing their accreditation because a white woman teacher complained about a professional development that made her uncomfortable regarding topics of race. Now, granted, this complaint 
was made before the, the, the Oklahoma laws that went into effect. Regardless, Tulsa Public Schools um, were, were, were put on a list to have their accreditation potentially taken away, which is a very, very huge deal. And so, you know, what's wild about this, right? All these these conversations about indoctrination, all these conversations about what is right, what our kids in schools can learn, what they shouldn't learn. But there's no issue when it comes to religion, right? There's no issue when we say, or when I say, or when I think that everybody who goes to those schools in Oklahoma are not Catholic or Christian, right? Um, and there's surely been tons of arguments made about and regarding anti-DEI sentiment or that taxpayer dollars shouldn't be funding the indoctrination air quotes here, um, uh, regarding diversity, equity, inclusion, regarding race, regarding gender, regarding sexuality. And so it's wild that, uh, this, this, this bill um, would essentially, uh, or, you know, or, or not bill, but this, um, this decision by the school board would essentially allow for, uh, the funding of, of a privately religious charter school. Um, and of course there's comments to be made about virtual education, right? Uh, you know, that was a, been a big deal since COVID, but I, there's just so many questions that I, that come to mind um, that despite there being, uh, you know, a ban or despite there being or supposedly being a separation of church and state, uh, that this was approved, that this was okay. And, and of course, there's absolutely going to be a, a legal battle here. I would be um, shocked if this did not go all the way up to the Supreme Court. Who's no, who knows what will happen if it if it actually reaches there but i i i it, i don't know for me for me uh, you know i always there are times right tony morrison said that you know and of course she was talking about whiteness and the atrocities of whiteness and white supremacy and the harms that they have enacted white people white supremacists have enacted upon black people and she said that she never wants to not be surprised, right? Because that means that she would be jaded, right? And I'm sitting here and I'm like, dang, this is one of those moments where I'm like surprised. And I'm surprised because of, I'm just surprised. I don't, I don't, I don't have, I'm surprised because in a place where everybody's worried about indoctrination or certain people, I'm not gonna say everybody, certain people, conservatives, from what I've seen, mostly white conservatives, white people um, are concerned about indoctrination. No one says anything about religion as religion can't be a source of indoctrination at all whatsoever. Um, and so to, to do this in the public space is, or to try to do this is surprising. And I'm going to be interested, interested to see what happens um, because they, the, the conservatives do have numbers on the Supreme court. And so if it reaches there, I don't know which way it's going to go. And we'll be talking about the Supreme Court a little bit, um, or I'll be talking about it a little bit later in this in this uh, episode, because there's going to be some or one important case that is absolutely uh, coming up. But, yeah, it's 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 surprising. And, of course, 
Um, there's, you know, division around this topic. Of course, um, there are those who are conservative who are against this this point. Um, but there are others, you know, who um, like there's an article on uh, Politico and, you know, the the governor of Oklahoma says, hey, Oklahoma support religious liberty for all and support an increasingly innovative educational system that expands choice. Today for the nation watching, our state showed that we would not stand for religious discrimination. And so it's, again, I don't know how the separation of church and state is religious discrimination. I don't understand how, um, how one can say that we're trying to expand choice, what, you know, choice of schools, what schools they have a, the ability to go to. Um, but if that's the case, then why is it long, wrong to learn about race in the schooling environment? Why is it long, wrong to learn about sexuality or sexual orientation or sexism, gender? Uh, what's the term? What's the term? What's the term? Why is it wrong to learn about sex, right? Um, to have safe uh, safe sex courses, classes to really make sure that our kids are engaging in good practices, um, you know, all, all throughout their lives. Right. So all of these things, all of these things, it, it's, it's, it just seems a little bit, um, of a hypocrisy. And so I, I'm curious to see where this goes. I will definitely be talking about this more in the issue, uh, more as we kind of, uh, go forward. So the next story comes from NBC News out of Florida. Something's always happening in Florida, but this one I'm down with. I'm so hype about, and I think it's amazing. There are black students at uh, Florida A&M University, a historically black college, um, historically black university, excuse me, but at HBCU, historically black college university. Um, and the reason why they are doing this is because generally, right, HBCUs, historically black colleges, universities have been historically underfunded in the United States, historic, historically underfunded in the United States. Uh, that is not a topic for debate. That is not a topic for discussion. There are a number of scholars that have pointed this out. Um, there is an article written by uh, Sean Harper, Lori Patton, Lori Patton, and I can't remember the third author. Uh, on that piece, but they they essentially wrote a masterful critical race policy analysis or critical race analysis of um, of, uh, of of black students in the higher education system, and 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 uh, in that they they talked about HBCUs and they talked about the underfunding of HBCUs, and I can't remember the figures, but there's a staggering amount of money that HBCUs have been owed, should be owed, and need to collect on, right? Um, they need to collect on, should collect on, but of course they don't have the, the, the power to, to get that money, right? There's a number of policy strategies that white supremacist politicians have made throughout the history of the higher education system um, since HBCUs were founded to ensure that they did not receive proper funding, to ensure that predominantly white and historically white institutions garnered the most financial support um, of federal and state dollars. And so 
you know, if we if we if we take this back a little bit and we talk about one of the one of the big, you know, acts in higher education um, is the Morrell Land Grant Act. Right. And so, of course, the first one came, um, you know, in the in the 1860s. And this helped uh, this act helped predominantly white institutions, land grant institutions um, acquire you know, the space, the capital to form. Uh, institutions such as the University of Illinois, Michigan State, um, any, you know, uh, agricultural or state school um, is, uh, you know, flagship uh, is the, the land grant, right? Or is perceived as a land grant. Not everyone's so like University of Michigan is not a land grant institution, um, but University of Illinois is, right? So institutions that are, um, so institutions, for example, like the University of Arizona, I uh, believe the University of Indiana, no, not University of Indiana, Purdue University, um, Iowa State University would be considered a, a land grant. Um, I want to say University of Minnesota. Um, Mississippi State, right? I'm not going to get into all the names. University of Nebraska. Um, so there, there's there's land grant institutions out here, right? That, that's that's the general point, and that these funds for land grants were originally afforded. Like I said, I want to say 1862, 1863, right around that time. And so here's what's interesting about that: HBCUs were not included. HBCUs, of course, weren't. Some ex- were in existence, but um, these institutions where this, this, these funds were for predominantly white institutions, were for historically white institutions, were for, were, were to be white spaces. That's, that's, that's what it was, right? And so HBCUs weren't given the opportunity to b- become land grant institutions decades later, 1890. 1891, around that time, around that era. That is deeply problematic, of course, right? Why did it take X amount of years? Of course, I'm going to say anti-blackness and white supremacy. Um, And if we go even further, right, if we're talking about um, Native Indigenous uh, Americans and tribal institutions, I believe they didn't receive designations until uh, for for the possibility of getting land-grant institutions until the late eight, 1980s, early 1990s, right? But, you know, when we're talking about Florida A&M University, we have some black students there that are saying like, hey, look, over 33 years, over 33 years, there is $1.3 billion, $1.3 billion difference shortfall between the University of Florida and Florida A&M 1.3 billion dollars 33 years massive number for the two public land grant colleges within the state massive 1.3 billion that is white supremacist capitalism in action A 2022 study from Forbes noted 
that Florida A&M received $2,600 less per student than the University of Florida in 2020. And so when we're talking about inequities, when we're talking about anti-blackness, when we're talking about why there is such a staggering underfunding of HBCUs in this country, right? This is a source. This is a resource. $1.3 billion over 30 years. What could have done, what could Florida A&M have done with that money? How could they have changed not only uh, different aspects of the institution, right, um, in terms of who they serve, how many students they serve, how many black students they serve, but also how many uh, faculty members, right? They could have hired, paid substantially well, administrators. What could they have done for the neighboring communities in the state of Florida? And so I'm with it. I think it is fantastic. I think it is wonderful. I think that this should be happening um, across uh, multiple um, states because obviously there are issues in Georgia. Obviously there are issues um, in Tennessee. Obviously there are issues in Texas, right? Um, in Texas, Texas A&M and University of Texas, uh, I believe take up, even though Texas A&M is, a, is the land grant, um, they take up most of the, the funding. Most of the funding doesn't go to the HBCUs in this state, the institutions that needed the institutions that um, truly, truly need that support, that financial support, support that they never got. And, you know, one of the things that is frustrating about these conversations is why institutions like Florida A&M or Prairie View A&M have to exist in the first place. They exist and have existed because whiteness, white supremacy, white people did not want black individuals on their campuses at a point in time in this country. Points in time, decades, centuries in this country, in this nation. And so because of that, HBCUs had to be created. They needed to be created. They had to exist. And so I applaud these students. I'm so hyped for them. I hope that they they handle their business. I appreciate um, MC News and Shar Adams for for writing a, a, a wonderful write up um, on this. And it was something that I, I had to talk about. Right. Because I just it's fantastic. And I hope that I mean, it would be nice for this institution to receive recoup the one point three billion dollars. But that's not going to happen. Because, of course, whiteness and white supremacy and people who would say that's not fair to the University of Florida would be mad. Um, but this incident, these underfundings, of, this underfunding of, of black institutions, of HBCUs, that, that, that's racism. That's white supremacy. That's anti-blackness. Right? If, if we say that there's no more separate but equal, if we say that every institution, when I say we, in this case, talking about the nation i'm talking about the country i'm talking about our laws if 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 there is acts and bills and laws that say that everyone needs to be treated fairly and everyone needs to be treated equally and everyone should be getting the same resources equality right um 
then why aren't these institutions equally funded? And of course, I will gladly and surely hope to push for equity because I think that each institution should get what they need in order to be successful. And so what that means is in order to be successful, um, HBCUs need more funding than predominantly white, historically white institutions with their multi-billion dollar endowments and their huge alumni bases and their wealth of of access to a number of resources. So finally, the last thing that I would like to talk about is affirmative action. So affirmative action is a topic that will probably be the one of the more biggest decisions that that probably happens this summer regarding education or higher education um you know so if if you were unaware the supreme court is looking to hear um a couple cases they'll they'll rule um uh, regarding the consideration of race in college admissions and so uh if you were unaware one of these uh, court cases comes out of Harvard, which always seems to be in the mix, and another one's coming out of UNC. The group that is leading the, the charge and supporting these students uh, is known as the Students for Fair Admissions, which is led by, um, I would say, fairly right-wing conservative uh, activists and What's interesting in this case is that Students for Fair Admission is accusing these institutions of of racially discriminating against Asian students in favor of black and Latino students. And so it's wild. And, and, And to be fair, to be fair, there are a number of folks within the Asian American community that have really pushed back, criticized these claims. And so do not mean to make it indicative of everyone within the community. That is not what is happening. However, there are a select few within the Asian American community uh, that that is saying that these race-based admissions at these institutions are a problem. That if Harvard, for example, did not use race-based admissions, that there would be more Asian students on the campus, that there would be more uh, Asian American students, there would would be more of that population group on campus. And so, you know, what's what's bothersome about this for, for me, right, is that this case is using black students and, and Latino students as a tool to say that that something is incorrect or something is wrong, right? And so, you know, when when people come at the the race-based admissions, I always get frustrated because the argument is that race-based admissions, front of action, is the reason why someone, in most cases white and now Asian, didn't get into an institution. That somebody that was black stole or took my spot that if there was no race-based admissions I would have been an alum of the University of Texas or the University of Michigan or the or Harvard University 
But in those arguments against affirmative action, they never talk about legacy admissions. And for those that don't know what legacy admissions is, if you have a family member, relative, grandparent, mom, dad, brother, whoever, cousin, aunt, uncle, family member that went to an institution, you have something called legacy admissions where the school will more than likely accept you to the institution because your legacy you you are you you are um your your family is of the the institution they've been there before and legacy admissions make up way more than what is known about affirmative action these race-based admissions but that's not the issue right the issue is these race-based admissions are the reason why i'm not able to join or go to this institution and so <clears throat> it's an issue because when, when 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 we see um you know when we've seen these these pullbacks from uh from reaction right uh one of the cases came out of the university of michigan in 06 uh you know the university of california in in 1996 right you see a decline in in black students. You see that there are issues for uh, black students to continue to 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 come to these institutions, to go to these institutions, and to be successful at these institutions. And so, you know, for me personally, uh, I feel like it's definitely, absolutely a a big deal, a big problem. I worry and fear and and and, and have a big fear. Uh, for what will happen for black and Latino students uh, regarding race conscious or race based admissions, I fully expect the Supreme Court to uh, to 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 eliminate affirmative action uh, as it's a very conservative Supreme Court, and so that's that's the expectation, and it's very very incredibly unfortunate because. As I said earlier in this podcast episode, the higher education system in this country was created based off of, built upon white supremacy. It's a higher education system that was never fair. It's a higher education system that has been historically white, has privileged historically white uh, individuals or white individuals their families, their communities have given these institutions more money, more funds, more, more, more fame and, 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 and claim to, to space. Right. Uh, and with the removal of affirmative action, what we're really talking about is the decrease of black students on these higher education campuses, these predominantly white higher education campuses. There was a story out of uh, a publication called Mass Live. And so there's a student named Abyssinia Haley, and she was a rising senior. She was the first uh, black editor-in-chief in her school's newspaper. She was the first black female president of the Massachusetts Association of Student Councils. And so she's done all these super, super dope things. 
And she would be the first in her family to go to college, right? That's all the things that's coming out of this article. All these super dope, wonderful things. And she hopes to 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 get into and go to a you know highly selective school, which is Georgetown University. Um, and and she notes in, in this piece, it talks about how she's worried about uh, students of color and how the Supreme Court decision may keep her out of some of these highly selective institutions. And so she says, if we took, if we if we look at history, it took a hundred years for many top institutions to open their doors to black students. And even then, there are so many complexities when it comes to the adversities that we faced with when applying to these schools. Most of us aren't legacies, have access to college counselors or resources to forge the connections between prestigious institutions. And so she is really, really, end quote, she is really, really hitting the nail on the head here. Many of these institutions, some of the Harvard included, were founded when black people were in chains, were enslaved. A number of these institutions got their wealth off of the transatlantic slave trade. A number of these institutions, alumni bases, got their wealth off of the transatlantic slave trade. And so, and if we're being honest, the genocide of Native, Native indigenous people, the, the land grab, the stealing of land, right? And so there, there's, there's so much here. Higher education has always been about race. Higher education admissions have always been about race. They've always been about white supremacy. They've always been about who has the most resources. One of the things that I think is a farce or a dupe or a joke or I, I, I don't I don't I don't know the, the, the appropriate context, right? Myth is that we live in a society that is fair, that we live in a society that is um, meritocratic, right? We live in a society where if everyone who works hard and does well will be successful. That is not true. That is not a true statement. There are people that work hard, that, that do the right things, that still live in subpar conditions within this country. There are people who go to their institutions, they go to their schools, they get 4.0 GPAs, they do well on uh, on their tests and for, 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 for high school, right? And they do not get into these elite institutions. So one of the things here that, at least for me, when, I, when we talk about affirmative action and I have a problem with is we are really talking about a, a very, very failed system, a, a system that is always racially discriminated against black people, a system that has always um, mobilized white supremacy, a system that has always sought to privilege those with the most resources. And so for me, this is not a question about why do we have race-based admissions? This is a question about how do I make sure that me, myself, I, the individual, have access to the most resources, 
let's negate all of the history, all of the things that these institutions have done to oppress people, to put them in subpar conditions. Let's forget about how everyone in this country doesn't have the access to ACT, SAT prep or the best public education systems, right? And so for me, I'm intrigued to see what happens. I I, I have a feeling of what's going to happen. And I honestly feel like there are a number of black people that are, are honestly going to pay as a result of this case. I, I I believe that affirmative action is racial justice. And, you know, the crazy thing about affirmative action is that black people aren't even the most benefactor, the, the, the most uh, uh, the group that they're, they're not even the, the group that has benefited the most. Right. White women have benefited most from affirmative action than anyone. But it's race based admissions that are the issue. It's black people who have taken my spot. That is the issue. It's. Latinx people that have taken my spot that is the issue what's wild to me in this case is that if we look at Harvard UNC Chapel Hill University of Michigan UT Austin University of Illinois any of these institutions the number of black students the number of indigenous students the number of Latino students pales in comparison to white students and in some cases pales in comparison or at least there's not the same representation regarding Asian students now we go even further there are certain subpopulations of Asian students that are underrepresented on these campuses certain ethnic groups right there's race there's ethnicity certain ethnic groups um, within the, the Asian community that is underrepresented in higher education and underrepresented on these campuses. And so for me, this idea that we are going to repeal race-based admissions, it hurts so many different groups, but it supports and it upholds white supremacy. This is Race Talk School Talk, a podcast about race and education. Dr. Chadger James Galloway, I will get at y'all next time. Thank you for listening. And if you have topics that you would like to be covered or commentary, please feel free to email me at racetalkschooltalk at gmail.com. Peace.